We've began a consideration of these psalms, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, the Psalms of Ascent this morning. Psalms which speak of the progress of the Christian through life, the journey in the world towards heaven. And this morning we saw that the reality of life in the earth is that it's difficult. It is not straightforward and easy. We saw in Psalm 120 that the psalmist speaks of an environment, an environment that's marked by lying and deceitfulness. Lying originated in the Garden of Eden. Lying permeates the entirety of humanity. In John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus speaks the following words. He says, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's business. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. We are immersed, saturated, soaked in a world where everything is permeated by lies. It is a rare thing for someone to tell us the truth. I think we don't understand that. I think that when we hear people speak, we think that it's only an occasion that they tell a lie. The fact is that the world is predicated on lies. Everything about it is a lie. The pride of man's heart appeals to the fact that he knows what is right for himself. And everything that is done in the life of the ungodly is done to sustain a lie. That lie that they can in some way merit a better way for themselves. When you dissect the thinking and the speaking and the behaving of the ungodly, everything about it is a lie. Is a lie. And the astonishing thing is that they know that. Everything in our world has a built-in lie default factor. Companies build in to their systems of governance the fact that people will tell lies. They will lie about the time that they work. They will lie about the work that they have done. They will lie about the achievements that they have made. Everything about them will be in many ways predicated on lies, and people know that. If you've worked in any form of management in an organization, you know that. If you raise that, people will say, well, that's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. Well, why is it the way it is? It's the way it is because everybody knows that This world is immersed in lies. But there's more than just the lies. There is the reality of violence and war, as we saw this morning in Psalm 120. The rage of man's heart. That works itself out in many different ways. It may be a passive-aggressive 
rage. It may be a rage that is seen to be subtle. But again, you look at the life of the ungodly and they are angry, resentful, frustrated. And they are violent. Their words are violent words. You think of the number of times you hear the word, the F word. That's a violent word. It's not a pleasant word. It's not a good word. That's a terrible, bad word. Because at the root of that is violence. When you actually think about it, it's violent. It doesn't speak of grace. It doesn't speak of gentleness. It doesn't speak of kindness. It doesn't speak of anything that is wholesome or godly. And yet it is used with impunity. It's just a word that comes out of people's mouths. And it's of no consequence to them. They don't actually stop and think about their use of that word. That speaks of how ingrained violent thought and violent words are the very foundation of our culture's thinking and existence. And we may say, well, it's not. It's just a word. It's just a word. No, as Jesus said of the devil, that when he speaks lies, he speaks out of his own character. Words aren't just framed in the instant. They flow out of the character of the person who speaks them. And so, it's not surprising that the psalmist on this journey through life speaks of his distress and cries out to God that God would deliver him. And we saw this morning that he doesn't do so from a place of ignorance. He knows that God is going to deal with the godless. He is a warrior whose arrows are sharp and he will bring glowing coals of the broom tree upon them. And because he knows of the just justice of God, he is willing to speak peace into this harsh, brutal reality. He is willing to speak of the gospel into the world in which he lives. And yet we've got to ask ourselves, and it's a serious question, is that all we can do? Is that the sum total of what we can do? It's important that we cry to God. It's important that we ask God to give deliverance. It's important that we understand the theology of judgment. It's, it's critical important because Christ has commanded us to be speakers of peace. But is that all that we have? And that's a very serious question. Because the world in which we live is very bad. It is very destructive. It is very corrosive. It is very debilitating. 
it steals our dignity, does sin. It steals us as people. It just doesn't steal our health. It just doesn't age us. It steals the very image of God within us. It would steal from us the image of Christ if it could. If it were given at liberty to do so. At the root of every broken relationship in every Christian home, there is lies, there is deceit, there is frustration, there is anger, there is sin. We're not talking about something that's abstract here or unimportant. We're not talking about some that, something that is, is not of great significance. Whether it's the violence done to the preborn in the womb, whether it's the violence done to children in whatever form of abuse that many of them have to suffer, whether it's the violence done to women in the home or to men in the home, or whether it's the violence done to those who are in old age, our world is not a pretty place. Our world is an exhausting place to live in. Our world takes a lot of energy just to be able to cope with. Is all we have a cry to God? Is all we have an understanding of just judgment coming? is all we have an understanding that we must preach the gospel to them. Thank God that that's not the case. And I mean that. Thank God that that's not the case. And we see in Psalm 121 that real help, real help is available to us. Real help is available to us. Real help is obtained because the helper is real. And real help will see us finish the journey that we are on. Real help is available to you tonight. The psalmist says that he lifts up his eyes to the hills. This is the source from where real help comes. When I was learning this as a child, um, growing up in Achidui, going to Ballylagan Church, it was one of the Psalms that we learned. And I wondered why you would look up your eyes, why you would lift up your eyes to the hills. How there would be help coming from the hills. I couldn't understand it. Of course, as I grew older, I began to understand that the hills weren't the source of help in themselves. It was where these hills were and what these hills represented. For these hills that are established here, there are Mount Moriah and the Mount Zion in Jerusalem. That's the hills that the psalmist is looking to as he makes his journey, sojourn, through the world into 
his eternal rest. We know from Psalm 133, for there it speaks, it is like the dew, talking about the union within the bride, is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. Plural. Jerusalem was established on these mountains. It wasn't just one mountain, it was mountains. And on these mountains, Solomon did what God commanded him to do, that which his father desired to do, but he was not allowed to do it, and that was to establish this temple. And as we read from 1 Kings, how that Solomon in his prayer of dedication of that temple recognized full well that God would not come and reside in that temple in person because he who dwells in the heavens cannot be constrained by a physical structure. But nonetheless, he knew that as, as that temple was looked at, as men lifted up their eyes to Jerusalem, and as they came and pleaded with God's, for God's help, Solomon's request was that God would hear in heaven and respond. And he, as we read, gave a number of different contexts or situations for those pray, prayers. If a man sins against his neighbor, when your people Israel are defeated before the enemy, when heaven is shut up and there's no rain, if there's famine in the land, when a foreigner who is not of your people comes from a far country for your name's sake, if your people go out to battle against their enemy, if they sin against you, these are occasions whenever the people of God would look to Jerusalem and they would seek God's help. They would cry to God. They would repent of their sin and they would seek God to come and be their source of help. And so that's why through that passage of God's Word in First Kings chapter 8 we can repeatedly read how Solomon said that when they would pray towards the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name then hear in heaven their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? He's looking up to Jerusalem. Not just the building, but who resides in Jerusalem. The God of heaven and earth. He is in heaven, but His presence was represented as being in Jerusalem. This is our God. This is the one to whom we must turn. This is the one whose help we must seek. This is the one whom we must ask to hear us, to understand us, and to come to our aid. 
We have to stop looking to each other. We have to stop looking to other people. We have to become more intentional, more focused, and more deliberate in our looking to God that He would help us. For real help is available. If we do not, then we are depriving ourselves of the one source of help who really can and will address our needs. It is to be proud not to seek God. And such arrogance does not sit well before God. Real help is available. Second, real help is obtained because of the real helper. God, as we have seen, is the one who helps. Verse 2, my help comes from the Lord. The world and many of the or all of the religions that would purport to seek after a God but the one true God believe that their help is to be found in an idol. Something that is made of their own hands. Something that's been made by someone else's hands. An object that is to be bowed down and worshipped. But such idols are completely and wholly incapable of rendering any help on any occasion to anyone who pleads to them. It is an inordinate waste of incredible human effort that goes on every day in our world where people will offer sacrifices, will offer themselves will offer incantations, will offer prayers, will offer appeasement gifts to idols in the hope and the anticipation that that might achieve something for them. It is worse than a waste of time. Our help comes from the one true God. He is the heaven, the maker of heaven and earth. God spoke and the world came into existence. God said, let there be, and there was light. God said, there, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it be separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were above or under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And so it was, and God called the expanse heaven, and there was morning, and there was, there was evening, and there was morning the second day. We have help from the creator of heaven and earth. We don't worship some inanimate, dumb, blind, deaf, incapable 
physical object. We worship the living, true God who has created all that you and I see, all that we hear, all that we feel, all that we touch every single day that He gives us breath by just speaking. And His help is constant. For He sustains all that He has made by His spoken word. There is nothing that will happen in this world in the next second that will not happen because God has not ordained it or sustained it. And we've got to understand the magnitude of the character and the power of the God whom we worship in the midst of this world of lying lips and deceitful tongues and ever-present malevolent violence and hatred and bitterness and rage and war. And we've got to come to that God. We've got to believe in that God. And we've got to believe that that God will be our help. We've got to take the words from where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And we've got to engrave them deep within our mental capacity and deep in our hearts. For we spend too many minutes and too many hours looking for help from those who may be kind and gracious and willing and tender and desire to help, but at the end of the day they are men. And men cannot do what we need done. But there is help. And that help is to be found in the living and triune God. And look at this one who gives us this help. And look at the extent of the help that He gives us. Look at the reality of this help. Look at the constancy of this help. The psalmist speaks of the fact that He will not let your foot be moved. Where He has us, we are because He will keep us there. And look, we have no fear at all of Him ever taking His eye off us through either slumbering or sleeping. He who keeps us will not slumber. Behold, He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Rest is a good thing. Sleep's a wonderful thing. Often when I go to bed at night, I ask God to give me sleep. And if I don't wake up in the middle of the night and I have a full night's rest and sleep, the first thing I do is when I awake, I thank Him for that sleep. The older I get, the more appreciative I am becoming of sleep and the rest of sleep. 
God never sleeps. When we come to God and ask Him for help, and we seek His face in the pursuit of the need that we have, we know that this God will be always, always ready to help. He will always be ready to hear our plea. We don't have to go in in the middle of the night and shake Him and say to, say to Him, Father in heaven, will you wake up because there's something that I really need you to speak to me about. I really need you to see this. I really need you to know this. He's our Father. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's constantly awake, caring for us. Even as we're sleeping, He's caring for us. He is there for us every single day of our lives. Yes, we don't see it. Yes, we don't feel it. Yes, we don't sense it. But that doesn't mean that He's not there. His presence is always there. He's there as our shade at our right hand. He's like our shadow standing directly beside us. He protects us day and night. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. He's with us in all seasons. He's with us in all circumstances. He's not far away. He's not distant. He's not removed. It's not that He doesn't know what's going on. Sometimes we feel as if God hasn't a clue about what's going on in my life at this moment. Nothing could be further from the truth. You may not feel His presence. You know, I may not have a conscious awareness of His presence, but He is at your right hand. And He is overshadowing you with His love. That's why it is so inappropriate when we look to God and behave as though He doesn't love us and He's not caring for us and He's not providing for us. We look to a helper from whom we can obtain help because He is real, He is powerful, He is present, he is vigilant. He loves. He cares. And He is ever constant in our lives. Isn't that a wonderful truth? As you live in a world of lying lips and deceitful tongues and a world of anger, resentment, bitterness, rage, Violence and war. Isn't it a wonderful thing this evening to know that the God who made heaven and earth can be your help? Be your help. Not just the help of us in general, but be your help. 
My help, my help comes from the Lord. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not, shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. There are times in our lives when we can feel incredibly lonely. We can be sitting in this building on the Sabbath morning with many people around us. We can be sitting in this building on the Sabbath evening with many people around us. And yet we can be a place in our hearts and our minds where we are totally isolated. We feel as if we're entirely on our own. And yet, if you're a believer in the living God, you're not. Whatever season you're in, whatever difficulty you're in, He will keep you and He will help you. And note the extent of that help from all evil. All evil. Did you say, listen, there's evil pounding at my door every day. And I don't feel the presence of God protecting me from that evil. There's someone in my life or there are people in my workplace and they are constantly, constantly. You talk about not sleeping. You talk about not slumbering. I don't know if they ever stop from bringing their evil to my life. They're at it all the time. How can, how can we read the Lord will keep you from all evil and I'm still experiencing what I'm experiencing? Well, you turn to Romans chapter 8, don't you? And what do you see in Romans chapter 8? That's in the midst of all the trials and tribulations of our lives that God's love shines. It's in the midst of the... It's in the midst of all the oppression. It's in the midst of all the tribulation. It's in the midst of all the distress. It's in the midst of all the persecution, the famine, the nakedness, the danger, and the sword that we read that knowing all things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. And how are we conquerors? Because God takes all that abuse that comes to our lives and He turns that abuse to make us even greater lovers of Himself. Who has not been through a trial in this, this congregation tonight, this building tonight, and it hasn't, if you're a believer in Christ, brought you into a deeper walk with the Lord. That's what that is. You see, the Lord will keep you from all evil. Does that mean that He will stop everything in your life that's bad? No. But He will keep you from all evil in the sense of all evil accomplishing over you what that evil desires, and that is to separate you from Him, and that is to destroy your relationship with Him. He will keep you from all evil in the sense that He will use and allow that evil in your life to draw you into a deeper walk with Him. That in the midst of the lying lips and the deceitful tongue, in the midst of the warring, when you lift up your eyes to Jerusalem and behold the city, 
And we don't look at the city today as the people in the Old Testament looked at it. We look to the cross of Jesus Christ. And we look to God for help. The one who made the heavens and the earth. The one who will not let our foot be moved. Who will not slumber or sleep. The one who will be our shade at our right hand. The one who will not allow the sun to strike us by day or the moon by night. When we look at him in the midst of all that evil. And we look at him in the midst through our tears. And through our disappointments. And through our heartaches. When we look at him when we want to just give up and crawl into a wee ball. When we look at him. What does he draw us into? He draws us into a deeper love for him. Because he says to us, I'm here. I'm here. That's why we're more than conquerors, as Paul says. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor these things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. These things turn us to Him. And finally, in a sentence, real help will see you complete the journey. How can we be sure? How can we be sure of what we read in this psalm? Well, I've used the word help. The reality is that through this psalm, there's more than just help. There's a keeping. It's not just that we cry to God for help and God dips into our lives on occasion we cry for help. God is keeping us far more of the time than what we actually look at him and cry for help. Verse 3, he keeps you. Verse 4, he keeps you. Verse 5, he is your keeper. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep you. Verse 8, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. You see, the Lord is already keeping us in the lying lips and in the deceitful tongues and the war and the violence of this world. He is keeping you tonight. He's keeping you. You don't see it. You may not feel it, but boy, is He keeping you. There's so much war waging around you. There's so much violence being wrought against you that's been held. The fiery darts would come at you, you see. The fiery darts would waken you up early hours of the morning. Satan would bring thoughts into your mind and your heart. There are people who would want to destroy you tonight. There are people, and you may have a sense of it tonight, who some of those people are. Maybe one individual, maybe others. But there are spiritual forces at work that would love to wipe this church off the face of the earth. Do you think the enemy is delighting in the fact that God is bringing people into this building? Do you think that the enemy is delighting in the fact that there are those who are coming and they're sitting under the sound of God's Word and they're singing God's Word and they're being exposed to the reality of God? Of course, the enemy would destroy us. Can we not look over the last two years? And many of us, I know that I, 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 I prayed every, every Saturday that the Lord, when we would come to this building, would keep us and they would guard us. I was prepared for whatever would happen. That was my one prayer, as well as that God would work. Lord, preserve us. Lord, keep us. 
Lord, sustain us. And did the Lord let us down? Was the Lord not at the door? Was the Lord not standing at the end of the drive? Do we just take that for granted? Do you know what? Oh, we just were lucky. Or was the Lord's preserving hand upon us? Is He not keeping you from many of the things that would assail you in your life? Are there not times when you're out in your car? Think about that. I was thinking about it today as I was driving. Them nine people. I don't know what state it was in in America where that child of 13 was driving that pickup truck and drove into that minibus. The wheel burst. And I thought, three seconds later and they'd all have lived. The Lord ordained that. And many times has the Lord ordained you to, be, to escape a situation where within a millisecond or a few seconds you'd have been taken away. Or He's kept you in other ways. And why has He kept you? He's kept you because He loves you. And you saw that. That's what's so pernicious about our saying to God, you don't love us. We don't understand how much He loves us. We don't comprehend the magnitude of what Christ did at Calvary. We don't see that the Lord is keeping our going out and our coming in. And we don't see that it's a transitory keeping. There's just a periodical uh, keeping that's a temporary keeping. It's a keeping from this time forth and forevermore. Would the Lord give us up? Would the Lord send His Son into the world to be the propitiationary sacrifice for our sin and then just give us up? He cares for you. He will be your help. Yes, it's hard. Yet it's difficult. Yes, the lying lips. Yes, the deceitful tongue. Yes, the war that's raging. Yes, the cultural wars. Those things are very, very, very real. They affect our children. They affect us. But we have a God who has made the heavens and the earth. And He will keep us. He will keep us day and night. He will be our shade at our right hand. He will not allow the sun to strike us or the moon by night. He will keep us from all evil. He will turn all evil that's geared against us and He will turn that so that we will walk towards Him and we praise His name tonight. Well, what a beautiful thing it is that we walk this life kept by God. Kept by God. That's why you can come to Him and ask Him for help. Why you can come to him and ask for help. Because he's keeping you. He loves you. Let's pray. Father, forgive us. Wherein we have questioned your presence. Wherein we have gone to everyone but you and asked for other help. Forgive us, Father, for thinking that you might be unaware of our circumstances or even worse, uninterested. Thank you for 
promising to keep us from all evil and to keep our lives. Thank you to be, thank you for the promise to be, have your hand upon us. We know, Lord God, that that doesn't mean that we'll never experience another hard day in our lives. There are many hard days ahead of us. Many hard days. But we thank you that we do not walk alone. That you are with us. You are keeping us. And help us to constantly seek your help, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.